0: Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the scriptures. Good morning, Chapel family. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into the Word this morning. Father we are grateful for the opportunity that you have given to us to be to to share in the gospel both as those who have come to faith in Jesus to have our sins forgiven and a future in heaven to be your children but then you have given us the blessing and the privilege of taking that message to a lost world to those around us in our neighborhoods in our Daily sphere of influence, as well as to have the opportunity to get the gospel into places like Mongolia and Japan and the Southern Philippines on Paradise Island, among unre- unreached people groups there in Indonesia, in the Middle East, in in France. Lord, we are we are blessed. Small little church here in the middle of the country in Missouri, and yet we, through your grace, have a partnership in what you are doing in places all over this globe. Father, we pray that the gospel would go forth mightily. There are some around 8 billion last I saw of people on this planet, many of whom have never heard the name of Jesus. Lord, may that move us to be faithful in every opportunity you give us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. As we think of the world, we think of the mess that is in the Middle East right now. Uh, so much uh, pain and suffering on heartache and heartache in all sides of, of um, uh, whether in Israel or in Gaza. There are so many people who are hurting, innocent people suffering. And Father, we pray that you would work through these days to open hearts and soften hearts for the gospel of Jesus. That there may be Muslims who come to faith in Christ. That there may be Jews who come to faith in Christ. That those who are there who are, are... Believers in Jesus would be faithful in their witness. And Father, we pray that you would soon bring an end to conflict. We pray as your scripture calls us, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, Father, may you work all of these things to your glory. And now as we open your word, we pray that here we would as we study together, that we would meet you, that you would speak to us, to our need, and through your word, shape us. May your spirit use it to change us and make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We're in a study of the book of James. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to James chapter 3. James in this book, talks about how real real faith meets real world. It's really the theme that real faith shows up in real life. As we come here to James chapter 3, as he has already done, all through this book, he gets very personal, very real, and very convicting to all of us. Believe me, it's no easier on me than it is on you. As we go through this book, I am challenged every week. Some of you may remember a movie, uh, some would call it a classic. It's the movie A Christmas Story. One of the most well-known, most famous scenes from that movie is a story with some kids on the playground at recess. And two boys are there in front of their friends. They're arguing about... Whether a person's tongue will stick to a metal flagpole in below freezing weather. If you know the the movie, eventually one of the boys succumbs to the infamous triple dog dare. And he hesitantly sticks out his tongue and touches the flagpole. And sure enough, it gets stuck. The recess bell rings. All the kids scatter. They run into the school, except our helpless victim, who is stranded with his tongue, frozen to the pole, flailing his arms, until somebody eventually discovers him, sees him. Well, I doubt that any of us have ever been in that predicament, except after the first service, I found somebody who had been in that predicament. <laughs> So I say, I doubt it, but it may have happened to some of you. They had older brothers, which says it all. Uh, (laughs) We may not have been there, but all of us know what it is for our tongues to get us into trouble. And that's where James brings us this morning. John MacArthur has written, Misuse of the tongue is perhaps the easiest way to sin. There are some sins that an individual may not be able to commit simply because they do not have the opportunity. But there are no limits to what one can say. No built-in restraints or boundaries. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. A lot of things we can't do because we... Not sin we can't do because we don't have the opportunity for that particular sin but there's really nothing that we can't say with our tongue that is sin. I mean, we, we have access to it all. So the Bible talks a lot about our tongues. There are over a hundred passages in Scripture which relate to our tongues, such as, for example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Simply put, the more that we speak, the more likely we are to sin. There's lots more opportunity. Well, here we're in James chapter three this morning. The tongue is the focus of these first 12 verses here in James chapter three. But obviously, or at least I hope it's obvious, it's not really our tongues which are the problem. See, the tongue is just the delivery vehicle. The problem is our words. It's our communication that is the issue. If we didn't have a tongue, we would still find ways to communicate sinfully with our words, with our communication. And if James were writing this today, I am confident that he wouldn't just spend these 12 verses talking about our tongues. I am sure that he would find some way to squeeze in reference here to our fingers, Because quite frankly, with media today, our fingers have as much, if not more, opportunity to sin and to cause great damage with our words, even than our tongues. Our fingers have the power with our words to communicate both good and evil, both blessing and cursing. So this morning, as I speak about tongues, because James does, please remember that everything that he says here applies to not only our verbal speech, but our written speech, our texted speech, our social media. And James, as with everything we have seen so far in this book, he gets very real as he unfolds for us how genuine faith exists in our real world. And the matter of speech is such serious matter to him that in this very short book, here he devotes 12 verses to our tongue. But he does more than that. Because he talks about our tongue not just in these 12 verses, but actually all the way through the book. In fact, this week as I looked through the book, I I noted 17 passages in this little book scattered throughout each of the five chapters where he addresses our tongue, our speech. Like one we read three weeks ago in James chapter 1, we read, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And as I looked more at these 17 passages scattered throughout the book in every chapter Those 17 passages contain at least, depending on how you count them, at least 14 different commands regarding things that we should either do or not do in our speech. For example, James chapter 1 verse 19 commands us, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's worthy of a note on the refrigerator, worthy of a few words to memorize. James chapter 5 verse 9, another command, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. James chapter 5 verse 16, another command, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Just a sampling of the commands in James regarding our speech, our words, our tongues. Well, here in James chapter 3, in these 12 verses, James lays out for us four reasons why you and I and why he is concerned so much about our tongues. Why our tongue needs some careful attention. Four big concerns he gives to us. Follow along as I read the first two verses of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The first concern James has for us and our tongues is that our tongues have potential to bring judgment this passage here from James echoes in my mind almost every time I walk up to this pulpit quite frankly I find it frightening sobering and it should be He's saying that he's giving here a warning to teachers that there is a stricter accountability for teachers. This certainly applies to pastors, to elders, to leaders in the church, to Sunday school teachers and home group leaders, all the official teachers in the church. It applies to them. All of us in such position need to soberly consider the responsibility that we bear when we open up and teach God's Word. However, may I say that I think that this warning applies actually to all of us. As sooner or later, we all have the opportunity to be, and and I would say the responsibility as well, to be teachers. Certainly, as parents, we are, are teachers. We also have the responsibility and opportunity as a friend to be a teacher, to come alongside and to share with someone some appropriate thing from the Word of God. We have that as well, that responsibility and opportunity as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as we are called in Second Corinthians chapter 5 those who are to take the good news of Jesus to a lost world. It makes us a teacher. We have been given the great commission to carry the gospel to the world, to make disciples. And so this applies to us all, but in that James, I don't think, is saying, well, therefore, don't teach. (laughs) He says, let let not many of you become teachers. Don't go where God doesn't, call you to go, but at the same time, he's not saying shirk your responsibility. When God opens up a responsibility, it opens up an opportunity. When you become a mom and dad (laughs) and you're teaching your children, when you're asked to teach Sunday school, when you know you need to go share the gospel with someone, he's not saying here shirk your responsibility because teaching is a good thing and it's a needful thing. How can someone believe In him of whom they have not heard, Paul asks. We need to talk to people about Jesus. It's a necessary thing. And James tells us later in chapter 4, he says, anyone then who knows to do the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So just keeping quiet and never talking about Jesus isn't the solution to, to this warning to teachers. Rather, It's simply a warning to all of us that when we teach, he's warning against those who teach with wrong motives, for one thing. That is, those who who teach for the sake of their pride, you know, to build themselves up so people can see how knowledgeable they are, how smart they are, or those who enrich themselves. That's teaching with wrong motives. It's a warning against those who teach carelessly. Who simply are lazy and don't take the time to look into the Word of God and learn the Word of God, study the Word of God so they know the Word of God so they can teach the truth of God. Rather, they teach their ideas and their opinions and their thoughts and what somebody else says and teaches it is the Word of God. They teach carelessly. They're not diligent to know and present truth. It's also a warning against those who teach hypocritically, who are eager to tell everyone else what they should do <laughs> and how they ought to do it, but they do not practice what they preach. They do not obey the Word of God themselves. These are sober warnings. Do you think, hey, I'm not a teacher. doesn't doesn't impact me. Well, this passage to teachers is also a reminder to all of us It's a reminder of a sobering and a startling statement that Jesus made. He said, I I tell you the truth, on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. There's an accounting for every careless word we speak and it's so sobering because James said here in the verse we just read in verse 2, he said, we all stumble in many ways. So it's not just a warning to teacher, it's a warning to all of us against pride because don't think this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a teacher or don't think this doesn't apply to me because I I have it all right. (laughs) He says we all stumble in many ways. How many of you... Have a perfect tongue. You never stumble in your speech. None of us. He says, matter of fact, if you could, you would be a perfect man, as he said. We all struggle with our tongues. We lie, we gossip, we slander, we curse. We keep silent when we should speak, and we speak when we should keep silent. We exaggerate, we disrespect, we flatter. We speak with arrogance, we speak with anger, we speak with rudeness, we speak with vulgarity, we speak with impropriety, we speak with sarcasm, and we could go on and on in all the different ways that you and I sin with our tongue. He says if we could control our tongue, we would be perfect, mature, complete, able to control our whole bodies as well. But our tongues trip us up in so many ways, and he says there will be an accounting for how we use our tongues. So there's a warning against pride, and it's also says that we all had better pay attention to what he has to say in this text. This is a sin and a problem that is common to all of us. Verse 3, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue also is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue not only has potential to bring judgment, the tongue has power to control Horses are marvelous animals. They are, can be very large. A typical horse weighs around 1,000 pounds, many up to almost 2,000 pounds. But a bit, just a few small ounces of metal, a bit in the horse's mouth, can steer the horse, make them turn on a dime. Marvelous thing. He says a ship... A ship may be large and driven by very strong winds in those days before big motors, but even in today's modern ships, they are controlled by a very small rudder. That's all it's required to to, to steer tons of wood and steel in the water. The point is that the tongue is very small but it is influential and it is powerful. Both for good and for evil. Our tongues affect and they direct our attitudes and our actions. But Our tongues also influence the attitudes and actions of others. With our tongues, with our words... If they are words of grace, if they are words of truth, if they are words of encouragement, if they are words of praise, they build others up. They motivate others. But if our words are words of criticism and anger and mocking and deceit, our words destroy people. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what what is good for the building up as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words are powerful. They have power to control. Our words will either fill our homes and our workplaces and our church with joy and with laughter and with unity and love, or our words will fill those places with tension and with anger and with fear and with sadness and division. Our words have power to control. But he goes on, and he says in the next verses verses 5 through 8 he speaks of how the tongue has potential to destroy. Proverbs 18:21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it is. That's what James is saying. The tongue he says is dangerous. And here in these verses he describes the dangers of the tongue. Look at verse 5. At the end of it he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A little fire can cause great damage. And he says our little tongue can cause great damage around us. Many of us watched with great sadness of, month ago the great fires that were sweeping through hawaii the island of maui particularly they still are trying to figure out exactly where the fire started but it didn't start by a great event it wasn't some large explosion it was some something small a downed fire line maybe a campfire somebody's barbecue pit started small and spread Terribly quickly, around a 100 people died. Several thousand structures destroyed. Thousands of people left homeless. Over a century ago, the great Chicago fire, you know, they blamed it on Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocking over a lantern. Well, nobody really knows what started the fire, but it was something small. Wiped out. What was it, four square miles, I think, of the city? A small fire can do great damage, so can a small tongue. What we start with our words may not be taken back and may cause tremendous devastation with a little tongue. But not only does it cause destruction around us, it can cause destruction within us. Look at verse 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It's not just a fire out there, it's also a fire in here. And he says, it is a world, a world of unrighteousness. That word world is the word cosmos. In other words, it's a system, it's organized, it's got roots, it's got connections, And when the tongue starts on fire, it sets a fire not only out there, but he says inside. And it corrupts the whole body. It stains the whole body. Our tongues out there cause problems in here. See, we think the person with their tongue is just doing damage out there, and they do. What they are unaware of is the damage they are doing to themselves inside. But he says, I want you to know that. It's dangerous because it's destructive out there and in here. If that's not enough, he says, continuing in verse 6, setting on fire the entire course of life. If the evil of a sinful tongue is not stopped, if it is uncorrected, unstopped, it sets our course of a lifetime, or it sets our course for a lifetime of trouble, And problems and destruction. See, in other words, with our tongues, we can do enough damage that it follows us broken relationships, destroyed people, ruined careers. It's ongoing destruction. Even if you stop it today, the effects may linger and continue. He says, continuing verse 6, that that destruction is set on fire by hell. It is satanic destruction. The tongue is perhaps Satan's most favorite tool to destroy us and to destroy others. How he loves to get us using our tongues in destructive ways. Then I'm going to skip verse 7 for the moment, but look at the end of verse 8, where he says of the tongue, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The tongue is dangerous because it has de- creates destruction around us, destruction within us. It's ongoing destruction. It's satanic destruction. And it is a reckless, relentless killer, a restless evil, a deadly poison. Our tongues poison relationships. They kill relationships. They kill people's spirits. They destroy jobs and businesses and people's futures, and they destroy ministries. Has he convinced you yet that the tongue is a dangerous thing? That it warrants our concern? He says not only is it dangerous, he says it's untamable. Verse 7 For every kind, we back up to verse 7 For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Our tongue is untamable. He says, We tame all kinds of animals. We've tamed lions. We've tamed whales, you know. We've tamed puppies. Well, this one's still a work in progress. But she's learning. Look, you're sitting there all innocent. But hopefully she can be tamed. We've tamed all manners of critters. But we can't seem to tame the tongue of man. Verse 9. For with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. They ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The fourth concern he has about our tongue is that it has a propensity for duplicity. I had to come up with another P word. I'd had three, and I was like, well, got to have four. A propensity for duplicity. So we praise God. We come on Sunday mornings. We, we sing songs of praise to God. We speak words of praise to God. And then we curse men made in His likeness. He says, that just simply doesn't fit. A spring can't put out both fresh and salt water. That's impossible. And, and a plant can't bear two kinds of fruit. So to praise God and then to curse men is duplicitous. It's two-faced. It's hypocritical. It's illogical. And it's terribly wrong. John says, if a man loves God but uh, but hates his neighbor, he's a liar. The truth is not in him because those two things are incompatible. To love God and then to hate my neighbor. To say I love God and then to cuss out so-and-so. To slander so-and-so. To denigrate and and to humiliate so-and-so. That is ungodly. God who made... Every person in His image. We are made in His image. God who loves the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever, anyone who will believe in Him will have everlasting life. They won't perish. They they will be rescued from sin and hell. And have everlasting life. That whoever, that includes the person that you slandered, the person that you defamed, the person you cursed. So how can we, if we name the name of Jesus, if we've experienced the grace of Jesus, how can we speak to others or type about others in such a way? If our faith is genuine, if we are Jesus' followers, there is no place for venomous or destructive, hurtful speech coming from our mouths. So the conclusion, verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He asks, are you wise in understanding? Are you here today as a believer in Jesus Christ listening to the word of God? Are are you hearing it? If you are, he says, then listen and demonstrate your faith. Live out your faith in Jesus through humble and wise speech, both with your mouth and with your fingers online. And we say, got it. The pastor, didn't he say, Who can tame the tongue? No man can tame the tongue. Isn't this just a lost cause? Shouldn't it just go, well, you know, just who I am. Got red hair? (laughs) You know, or whatever excuse is, you know. No. Was there any hope, any help to bringing about change? Because he's told us why these are real concerns. And why it is important, it's even dangerous. How do we tame the tongue? Let me give three suggestions this morning. Practical things we can do today, this week. The first is this resolve, decide, commit to guard our tongue. Say, it matters. I need to make this a priority. James wouldn't be telling us here of the problem it is if he didn't think that we can take some steps to improve. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 28 says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The wicked person just says whatever is on the tip of their tongue, whatever is in their mind, it comes out. There are people who say that's a virtue. Scripture says, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, The wicked person says whatever's on their mind. They speak their mind. Whether they can afford it or not, as someone said. Uh, The righteous person thinks before they talk. That's what that proverb says. Think before you speak. Resolve this week, I'm going to start making some changes. Because I can't just dismiss the sin of my tongue, as just, well, it's not a big deal. James is saying it is a big deal. So I'm going to think before I start speaking. There's another thing to do, though, because it's hard. Is it not hard to undo bad habits? Anybody ever had a bad habit? We all have had bad habits. It's hard to undo bad habits. It's Easier, by the way, to replace a bad habit with a good habit than just to stop doing something that's bad. So the second key here is to replace. Don't just focus on avoiding what's wrong with our tongues, but let's also focus on doing what's right. There are really two things that need to be replaced. The first of those is we need a change in our thinking. You see, because the problem with our tongues really isn't our tongues. It's really not the words that come out of our mouth or they get typed on the, on the device. What's really the problem is the thoughts. Jesus put it this way. He says in Luke chapter 6, For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. What's coming out of our mouths is really what's in our hearts. And there's where the problem starts. And so the way to fix that is to begin by changing our thinking. Philippians chapter 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The things we need to fill our mind with are good things and true things and the things, in other words, the things of God's Word. Every day, every week, we fill our minds every hour with all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it is garbage. And we we not only fill our minds with stuff, but we dwell upon things that are garbage. And the scripture says, let's start learning God's word. So instead of just allowing our mind to harbor upon and dwell upon and ponder upon anger and bitterness and jealousy and self-pity and revenge and lust and all of those things. Let's make sure that we intentionally fill our mind with good things. How much time do you invest in filling your mind with good things? We need to make it happen. May I suggest, and just from a personal experience, one of the things that I would very much recommend, if you have particular problem with your tongue, then memorize verses related to that problem. If your problem is lying, if your problem is slander, if your problem is anger, if your problem, whatever it is, I bet that you can find there are dozens of Bible verses that relate to that. And if you put them to to memory, God will work through that. The Bible says his word is alive and powerful, Hebrews chapter 4 says. And he will use that to change you. And I can say from in my own personal experience, God did that to change my speech when I was a young man. Change our thinking by what we put into it and change our words. Instead of just continuing to fall into the habits of lying and cursing and complaining and criticizing and belittling and gossiping, plan ahead because if you think, what you will discover is there are certain times where you tend to sin with your tongue. It's when you get angry at your kids. It's when you get angry at your spouse. It's when you're dealing with that neighbor. It's when you're at work and you, there you tend to gossip or you, you, know, wherever it is. You'll find there are certain places you tend to... And you know what you should do? Plan ahead. And change your words. Say, what words can I use in that setting that will not be sin? Words that will be blessing instead of cursing. Words that will be truth instead of lies. Words that will build up Instead of tear down, words that will be gratitude, words that will bless. Change our words. Lastly, the third thing to do change is rely. If this could be done with our own efforts, James wouldn't be saying no man can tame the tongue. He says no man can do it because none of us can do it alone. So how? What do we do? Well, we need help. We need to rely on God. First thing to do in that is confess. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is what faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't miss the last part. We need to confess it because God, I've messed up. What I said was stupid. It was wrong. Fess up to God. By the way, also fess up to the people you hurt. And then he says, God is faithful. And he will cleanse us from unrighteousness. He'll help us. Pray and ask for his help. Say, Lord, I need to get rid of this. This is hurting my marriage. Lord, this is destroying my children. Lord, this is ruining my witness in front of my neighbor's or my coworkers, my classmates. Help me to change. We need His help to change us from the inside out so that what comes out of our mouth really is a reflection of what's inside. And it's not vile stuff that comes out of our mouth, but rather what comes out as blessing, what comes out is truth, what comes out as concern and compassion and care and grace. We need to pray along with David who said, set a guard over my mouth, O God, keep watch over the door of my lips. God, help me to keep my mouth shut. Father, there are probably some folks here today, I would say it's every one of us, (laughs) who really needed to hear this passage. It's not fun to preach because it's convicting, because the reality is every single one of us, our text is telling us, struggles with this. We do. So, Father, we all need to grow in this area of our tongues and I pray you'll help us do that. There may be some folks here who have some serious issues with this. Their families are hurting. They are hurting because of the destruction and the vitriol and the the sin that has come out of their tongues, out of their mouths. Father, I pray that you would not only convict them of their sin, but you would Help them to understand your grace and your power. You are the God who can change us literally from the inside out. Father, I pray that we as a people, as those who name your name, that we would indeed be in reality what we profess, followers of Jesus. That the words that come out of our mouth Are Jesus like words they are words that bring blessing rather than cursing they are words that point people to you they are words that heal rather than hurt so father again we thank you for your word James calls it a mirror and here this morning we've looked into the mirror we don't always like what we see But we're grateful that you are a gracious and a good God. And your desire is not to leave us where we are, but to change us. So may you be glorified in us and through us today, this week, as we put these things into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with Him this week.